What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Mind Over Macros podcast. As always, I am your host, Mike Milner. And today I was joined by a very special guest on the show. I had my good friend, Steph Fusnick, on with me to talk about menopause and cortisol and hormonal issues that may be creating issues, hormonal issues that may be creating issues. That's too many issues. So we should probably solve those issues so we don't have more issues. Um, That is what we discussed. Steph is a wealth of knowledge and you will see why we get along so well because we both curse a lot. So that's my forewarning. There's a lot of F-bombs. Hide your kids, cover their ears, earmuff it, earmuff it if the kids are in the car. And you're going to get a lot out of this conversation. And if you do, we would love to hear about it. Just give us a shout out on Instagram. Take a screenshot of the episode. Post it to your stories. Tag me at coach underscore Mike underscore Milner. And you can tag Steph at Vitality OET dot Stephanie. That's Vitality OET dot Stephanie on Instagram. And it's also the same handle on TikTok. And enjoy the episode. All right, everybody. I have a special guest with me today on the show. Steph Fusnick is a badass coach who is doing some incredible things right now. And I think it's important that we highlight quality coaches who are making a difference because as we all know, this industry is flooded with a lot of, we'll just say noise. And uh, it's, it's great to have somebody like Steph who is helping to drown out that noise and educate and inform and truly transform her clients and I'm I'm really excited to jump into this conversation. Steph, thanks for joining me. Of course. So I always like to start with the backstory just because I think it's interesting how we all chose this career path, which is not for the faint of heart. Um, so <laughs> where did it all begin for you? What's like the backstory? How did you end up where you are today? And just get us up to speed. Oh, God, I'm going to try and give you guys the Cliff Notes version. <laughs> so... I have always loved like health and fitness. It's been a huge part of my life. I loved sports. I thought I was going to be a phys ed teacher, um, did some coaching and realized that like, I don't have the patience for that shit. So are we allowed to swear by the way? Oh, yes. Okay, good. <laughs> I always forget to ask. Um, so yeah, didn't have the patience for that. And then I got into the personal training aspect of things right away, started working with athletes. I actually fucking hated it to be completely honest. Um, to me, it was like, and eh, not really my, not my jam. I didn't really care if someone could jump a little bit higher, or run a little bit faster. It just wasn't very fulfilling. Then I started working with like chronic disease and like fell in love with it immediately. So I was doing lots of stuff with like, uh, cardiac rehab, um, osteoporosis, cancer, stroke, COPD, like you name it. That was like my jam fell in love with that right away. Did that during university and grad school, worked in the health region for a while, fucking hated it. Um, I just felt like it was a lot of like band-aid approaches and symptoms and stuff. And then working with clients, I started hearing about like, oh, like I'm on this appetite suppressant and this medication. And I was like, okay, but if you're already like 250, 300 pounds and you're eating 1200 calories on an appetite suppressant, you've been doing that for years. That's clearly not the actual issue at hand. Um, Like there's gotta be more into it. So then I got into like nutrition coaching, really dug into hormones I totally fell in love with it. Um, and then saw like some real changes in clients. And then I started working a lot with perimenopausal women and found out that was a whole different story because the whole eat less, move more stuff really wasn't working. Um, especially when we take into like all the hormonal changes and how they can handle stress and how, what they were doing before, as soon as they hit that time in their life, it was like, they were like, I didn't change anything. And now I've gained like 20 pounds. I don't know what the fuck's going on. And it's, well, things have changed. It's your hormones, but no one ever fucking talks about it. And then that just became my passion. And 
helping people feel at home in their bodies again, because it's the worst when you just feel like you're a ghost in your own skin and you don't even recognize when you look in the mirror, you don't understand how your body's working. That's super overwhelming and uncomfortable. So that's kind of how I got to where I am now. Yeah, I love it. And and I love that you mentioned the fact that number one, we're often, and when I say we, I mean, just kind of like the, the medical system, healthcare system is very symptom focused and not root cause focused, which is where you see the oh, I'm going to put you on this medication and this, you know, and then a new symptom pops up. So I'm going to give you a medication for that. And we never actually get to the root cause of what's going on because let's be honest, it takes a lot more time and individual attention to really get to the root cause. I think one of the things that I find fascinating is how we try to separate like mind and body, like, well, my mind is over here, my body, but it's all one. So we have to understand that there is an underlying root cause that is creating the symptoms. And you mentioned an example of a woman who's like, I'm doing everything the same. And then I hit this time in my life and now I'm 20 pounds heavier. Can you talk about specifically like what might be happening where all things stay the same, but now you hit this certain phase of life and you're gaining weight. You don't know where it's coming from. Yeah. So our body is like always trying to fight to like maintain balance, right? Like equilibrium. We want to be always the same calories in calories out to maintain but then once we lose like our hormonal buffers, I like to call it like as estrogen drops and progesterone drops or one drops quicker than the other, our bodies can't tolerate stress as well anymore. So then what we're eating before actually ends up being a stress because it's not enough. So it might feel like you're eating enough, but you're technically not. So it's adding an extra stress to your body that doesn't have that buffer to deal with anymore. Um, so then our cortisol is going to increase. And unfortunately, when we see these changes in hormones during this time in our life, we do see that like cortisol is naturally going to increase. Inflammation is naturally going to increase. Insulin resistance is naturally going to increase because of the estrogen changes. So then if we're eating less, that's going to even increase cortisol even more. And then insulin and cortisol are going to fight each other. And then a lot of people end up with like thyroid issues. A lot of women end up with diabetes during this time in their life as well, because we aren't eating enough or appropriately to deal with those buffers or like to deal with that loss of the hormonal buffer. Plus we're usually eating low carb because we were all so fucking scared to eat a goddamn potato. Um, and that's going to help decrease your cortisol. So then if we're doing low carb and under eating and we have that hormonal change, it really turns into a bit of a shit storm. And then you panic because you're gaining weight. So then you decrease your calories even more, which makes it even worse. So you're trying to dig yourself out of this hole that you're in. And then when you wait too long to try and increase your calories, then we see that increase in um, body fat as again, as you're going out through your reverse diet. So it's like trying to catch these things sooner, be aware of them, understand what's going on through your body and like assessing, like, is it because of like, am I actually overeating? Is it because I'm not eating the best food options? Or is it that my hormones have just changed and I just have to change the way I approach fat loss? Because technically our bodies are not the same as they were before. They function completely differently. Yeah. And so the first thing that comes to mind, well, let me just see if this is a fair summary. Is it fair to say that at that point in the life cycle that you are becoming more sensitive to stress and less resilient to stress? Is that accurate? Absolutely. Yeah. So now you take like a certain calorie amount that you're consuming. And we know that a lot of, especially women are being told to avoid carbs at all costs, which is a whole thing that I talk about all the time. So I don't need to repeat how ridiculous that is. Um, so then it's the stress tolerance is now lower. So it's impacting us in a way that's creating this hormonal dysfunction, so to speak. And now we're gaining weight, even though we're doing the same things. And oftentimes the solution is to 
go down the same path that was actually creating the problem. Is that what's happening? Exactly. And then usually in this time in our life, we are seeing more stress, right? Like we become empty nesters or there's like, like more health problems coming on our families or we're taking care of like our aging parents. So there's more stress naturally, which you don't really like think about as well. So there's all these things that come into account that like your life really fucking changes during those years in your life. Yeah, totally. So I can, I can already um, like think about specific client examples. And oftentimes the, the biggest pushback initially is like, well, yeah, it makes sense that I need to reduce stress and get my calories up. But when I start to eat more, I gain more body fat and that's not what I want. I want to look better. I want to feel better. Um, so how do you kind of navigate that balance of like what you're saying makes perfect sense. And I know that I probably need to eat more, but I also don't want to gain any more fat. Yeah, totally. So it's about a making small changes because if you're going from eating 1200 calories being like, I need 2000. Yes. You're probably going to see an increase in weight. However, you also have to think about the way you're changing your meals and stuff and trying to adjust other factors in your lifestyle as well to help like mitigate those changes. And also be aware if you've been eating low cal, like low calorie, low carb for a long time, you're just going to have more food in your bowels. Like people are like, oh my God, the scale went up two pounds. It's like, okay, but if I go to, I always give this example, spaghetti factory, because I fucking love pasta. If you go, they always have a scale there. If you weigh yourself before you go eat and then you weigh yourself again, you're like a solid two and a half pounds heavier. So it's not necessarily fat gain. So we like to make sure you're focusing on like, is your energy improving? What are your energy crashes like? Do you still have cravings? Is your sleep getting better? How is your digestion? Those are all signs that like your metabolism is improving. You're feeling so much better. And when those things improve, you will also see positive changes in body composition. A lot of people will typically see like either weight stays the same. Some people might lose weight right away. Some people might see a couple pounds increase. The way I always like to word it is, would you rather see the scale go up by like two, three pounds over the course of like two, three months? And then you're in a position where you're actually set up for success and can go into a fat loss phase, lose all that weight, keep it off forever. Or is the idea of gaining three pounds too debilitating and you'd rather just stay and struggle the way you are right now? It's like a hard, like reality check, but it's the truth. Yeah. And I, I always say like, if, if what you were doing was going to work, it probably would have worked by now. So at some point you have to get to that position of like, you know what, I've been doing this for a really long time. Most of our clients come to us having tried low calorie, low carb for like 10, 20, 30 years. And it's like, still hasn't worked. So like, maybe we have to take a different approach and it is, it's a harsh reality and, and nobody wants to hear, you're going to have to play the long game. You're going to have to make gradual changes. You're going to have to look at your lifestyle and assess. And I think that that's another area I'd like to dive into is really specifically when we're talking about menopause, we often see disruptions in sleep with <laughs> hot flashes, night sweats, things like that. Um, you know, body temperature regulation can be a little bit off. And then that's also creating stress because if you're not sleeping well, like that's our prime recovery time. And so many important processes happen when we're sleeping, but now we're taking that away because of this phase of life, which is adding another layer of stress. So how do you start to work through some of those symptoms that show up during that time of life where it's really difficult. And what I found, it's really difficult to get somebody to be like, yes, I'm going to like really focus on crushing my sleep. That's, that's a hard sell. <laughs> like, what's your approach? Yeah. So, like, if you tell people, like, you just need to sleep longer or sleep more, people are like, go fuck yourself. That's like the shitty, most vaguest advice you could ever give. Like, I've heard that it doesn't work. Like, I don't like you anymore, basically, is like the response you're going to get. 
So like one of the things that we really like to talk about is like regulating your cortisol curve. You want cortisol to be higher in the morning, lower in the evenings. Ways to help keep cortisol down is to like help keep your blood sugars like stable during the evening. So actually what we implement with like all women in our program is a bedtime snack, which people are like eating past 8 PM. No, we're like, oh yeah, it's going to change your life. So slow digesting carb before bed, like oatmeal, um, pairing it with like, or having like some protein before bed too. Like I personally love like meat, cheese and crackers. A lot of women do like protein overnight oats and we'll actually have that in the evening before bedtime, or they'll make their uh, oatmeal with like the fair light protein drinks, that kind of stuff. Um, and what that does is stabilize our blood sugars and cortisol levels and insulin levels over the course of your evening. So if we are preventing cortisol from disrupting your sleep, you will actually see fewer hot flashes and stuff like that as well. Also, if you're increasing your food intake in general, that's going to help with those as well to lower that stress response. Um, and then we're not getting those spikes. And yeah, a lot of people like freak the fuck out and we're like, they're like, no, I'm not eating carbs before bed. Like you're crazy. I'm like, just don't have fruit. Like it's too slow digesting. That'll like cause like a spike. But slow digesting your protein, super great. You can do like Icelandic yogurt, mix some extra protein powder in there, a little bit of granola, and you're good to go. And uh, that's like usually one of the first things we change at women in our program. And they sleep so good. They're like, man, that was crazy. But it's like, you know, think about Thanksgiving supper. You have like your potatoes, your bread, your turkey. Do not tell me that's not the best fucking sleep of your life. It absolutely is. And it's because you're eating enough and you have enough carbs. Like that's literally what it is. Yeah, totally. And I, and I want to just emphasize the fact that if you're, so it's like twofold, you, you have to be consuming enough calories and enough carbs overall, and then saving the slow digesting carbs with some protein before bed. Um, it's funny because I just recorded an episode about meal timing. And that was one of the things it was like, you know, meal timing gets overhyped in the amount that it can truly change things. Like, yes, it can make somewhat of a difference in certain contexts. Uh, one of the things that I did mention was like, if you have trouble sleeping if you're under chronic stress, if this is an issue, like have some carbs before bed. And um, it absolutely makes a huge difference. Uh, how, how much do you emphasize food quality? Um, because I know that you're all about balance and frequently will post a picture of yourself eating a donut. Uh, <laughs> before, before we hit record, I said, how was your weekend? You're like, well, I had the best fucking candy apple of my life. Um, where do you talk about like, where does food quality to you fit into this equation? And like the, the buzzword that everybody talks about is balance and moderation. And it sounds good in theory, but like, what does that specifically mean to you? And how do you implement that with your clients? Yeah. So obviously you always want food quality to be great, but our issue that we find with a lot of women that we work with is like our mindset around food is fucked. Like we are scared to eat everything. We over restrict everything. And honestly, the amount of stress, like, so let's say I go and I have a mini donut like stressing out about having that donut afterwards and feeling super shitty and like dwelling on it is going to elicit probably more of a stress response and like more inflammation, more cortisol than the actual mini donut did itself. So like we give people the grace of like, okay, if you're going to have that, have that, just know that what it could do to your body, you could have some inflammation. It could set you back a little bit, but like, if you're going to have it, enjoy it. Don't rush it. That's fine. Like acknowledge that it happened. Or if you go through like a cycle where you do like, it happens a lot, like take a stop. Like, why did it happen? Slow it down, put some like space between it or even doing like what you do next. So don't let one mistake be two mistakes, be three mistakes, be four mistakes, like enjoy that thing and then continue eating normally afterwards because building a good relationship around food is really important. And once that's established and you feel okay, I find it a lot easier to adjust food quality after that. 
um, because people start to panic as soon as you start saying, oh, we need to slow down on this. We need to slow down on this. And it's like, no, like have that if you want it. Just acknowledge that it might take you a little bit longer to get to your goals. But I find once people have a better relationship with food um, and are okay with that kind of stuff, food quality is so much easier because they know it's not off limits. It's there. If they want it, they can do really well. Um, I probably have a treat at least once a week for sure. And like, I'm okay with that. I'm going to cut right now. That candy apple did not do me any good, but like, it was fine. We went, got lost in the corn maze. I got 22,000 steps yesterday because that's how lost we got. <laughs> and like, it's good. It's fine. I acknowledge it's going to take my cut a little bit longer and I'm personally okay with that. So it really depends on the person, what they're ideally looking for, what they want, what their goals are and like working with that person one-on-one. Yeah. I think it's a great illustration because to me, it's like you, you have the foundation in place and you mentioned you're still walking, you're still doing all the things. It's like you have the foundation built. And mm-hmm. so if you're checking all the other boxes, if you're mostly eating well, eating enough, managing your stress, sleeping well, drinking water, moving your body, lifting weights, doing all of these things. And so you've got that like house foundation that's incredibly solid. If somebody like, you know, throws a rock at your house, it's got an insanely strong foundation. It's not going to rattle. It's not going to rock. Like you can handle, you're more resilient. And so you get away with more. Um, mm-hmm. That's one of the things that I talk about when it comes to building muscle. I'm like, I want to build muscle so that I can eat more shit and not gain fat. <laughs> like, it's yeah. terrible, but like, hey, I like food. I like to enjoy what I'm eating and I'm like a foodie at heart. So I do have most, I make mostly quality choices. I have a strong foundation. I can get away with a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's important. Now, now talk about like the, the training side of things, particularly when it comes to menopausal women, because I think this is an interesting argument about like lifting weights versus hit versus cardio. Like where does this all fit into the stress equation and the hormonal changes that are going on? Totally. So a lot of women are like, I love my hit. I love my cardio. It makes me feel so good. I'm like, no, it doesn't. You're an adrenaline junkie. You're on a cortisol high all the time because you're go, go, go. You're dropping off your kids here. Then you're rushing to work, doing whatever it is you do there. People are pissing you off. You come back, pick up your kids. You're running around cooking supper. And it's like that whole time you're in fight or flight all the time. And exercise is also fight or flight. So then when you're not doing that crazy stuff, you crash because like your cortisol levels drop and you're like, oh my God, I feel like garbage. So then you're doing a hit in a way to like keep that high, which is just further like destroying your cycle basically. And like keeping that cortisol high, high, high. So what we encourage is doing strength training, taking long breaks in between like two to three minute breaks, do your squats, go heavy, challenge yourselves. You're not going to end up looking like a bodybuilder, the Hulk. Like it takes a lot of like dedication and a lot of hard work to get there. Um, so like, you don't have to worry about that, but it really helps like your body learn to get out of fight or flight, lets your heart rate come back down. And this is the hardest part. People are like, I cannot believe how hard it is to sit for two to three minutes. I'm like, yes, don't pace. Don't like skip around. Don't dance. Like sit on a bench and just chill for two to three minutes. And it doesn't have to be super crazy stuff. Like you can work out like two to three days a week, full body. It doesn't have to be a lot. Tailoring it back down is like, honestly, I have a harder time getting clients who are like very active, go, go, go to like tailor back than getting people who are more sedentary to make small changes. It is way harder to pull the reins back on people 100%. Um, But once they feel the benefits from it, like it's crazy how much better they do. And your hormones just do so much better. Making sure you have your pre and post workout snacks is huge too, because we can't access uh, glucose stores as as effectively when we're going through perimenopause and menopause as well, just through all the hormonal changes as well. 
Um, so that's why having that rest and like pushing yourself, like taking the rest times in between is so important. Just wanted to take a brief pause in this conversation with Steph. And obviously you can tell how important stress management is and mitigating stress is to your overall health and wellness goals, which is why I have been so freaking pumped about the partnership with Cured and more specifically their brand new product, their Serenity Gummies. I've said it multiple times on this show and I am sticking to it. The best product on the market right now. There is something magical about the combination of L-theanine with the functional mushrooms they put in there, uh, with the adaptogens, with the micro dose of THC. It is serene. like It is perfectly named. It's the most relaxed, chill, like zen mode that you can possibly achieve with a single product. I take two every day. Sometimes I take more. Uh, but that combined with their nightcaps has been incredible for my sleep quality. I'm noticing improvements in my how quickly I can fall asleep, the quality of that sleep, and the fact that it's uninterrupted, which for me is insane. Now, it's not perfect. Not every night is a home run with my sleep, but I'm telling you the Serenity Gummies with the nightcaps from Cured have truly changed the game for me. And not only that, but I'll take the gummies if I'm feeling overly anxious during the day, if it's like a crazy day at work and my mind's racing, I'll take just one. And I find a serving size is two gummies. I'll just take one. And it is perfect to just like get me back into feeling normal, feeling like myself again. Highly recommend you check them out. Go to curednutrition.com. Use code POPFAM at checkout for a discount, 20% off. Uh, try the Zen cap, um, the night caps, I'm sorry, or the Zen caps. They're both great. With the Serenity Gummies, 10 out of 10 recommend. Go to curednutrition.com. Use code POPFAM, P-O-P-F-A-M. Get yourself a discount. Try the Serenity Gummies and tell me I'm wrong. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong, but I really don't believe that I am. Tell me I'm wrong if you think I'm wrong. Try it and then come at me, bro. No, seriously though. Incredible product, incredible uh, company doing amazing things. Go to curednutrition.com, use code POPFAM, get yourself some gummies, get yourself some Zen caps, try the night caps, whatever you need to get better quality sleep. As you can tell by this conversation with Steph, it is incredibly important to manage stress, to get quality sleep. We need every advantage that we can get and Cured provides an epic advantage. All right, let's get back to the show. Yeah, and and I think uh, you mentioned the pre and post-workout. Um, what do you recommend pre? What do you recommend post? Um, I'm assuming that being that we're trying to get out of that stressed out state after a training session, we're looking at some kind of protein and carb source, but um, give me like your rundown of what you typically recommend. Yeah. So pre-workout is usually quick digesting carb. Does not have to be anything crazy. A little bit of protein is helpful too. Um, but this is where like even having like half an apple or something just to have something like a quick hit of like good sugars in your body, like healthy, obviously like don't slam a pixie stick. But like, you know, some fruit is always a good option or a rice cake with some nut butter. That's always good too. And then post-workout, we recommend like more of like a starchier carb, have some protein in there as well. And again, it depends on like time of day when you're having it. It depends on your lifestyle, that kind of stuff. But having a higher carb, higher protein afterwards is really important to get you out of that fight or flight. So that we're not like starting off your day or ending your day in like high, high cortisol and then just staying there. Like we need to bring it down. Yeah. So I, I have a question that's probably going to be difficult to, to answer because I honestly don't know if there is an answer to this. 
but I'm going to ask it anyway. And when we look at the hormonal considerations, particularly, and we don't even have to be talking about menopause. It's just, I feel like menopause is the ultimate example of where yeah. we go awry in, in this industry. But if you think about like the conventional recommendations, it's like, well, you have to eat less because your metabolism slowing down and you should cut out carbs and you should do more cardio or HIIT training and you should start fasting. And it's literally everything that is counter to what should like, how did we get to this place where the standard recommendation is basically the exact opposite of what we should be recommending? Yeah. I don't know. Honestly, I feel like there's been lots of issues with like, um, just like education in the like post-secondary field, because it takes so long for research to get like put into things for programs to get revamped. So I feel like doctors and nurses, even like dietitians and stuff like we work, like so many of our clients are dietitians. It's like, there isn't, and it depends where you do your training and stuff, obviously, but like, I feel like it takes so long for things to get revamped, to get caught up with everything, which is super frustrating um, cause like people are like, man, I didn't even know this was like a thing, but I think it's because like, it takes so long for research to come out. Cause like Stacey Sims, for example, I always talk about her. She wanted to do like her research on like female metabolism and like, like athletes trainings and like energy utilization and stuff. And her supervisor was literally like, no, don't do it on women. It's too complicated with their hormones stick to men. I'm like, that's fucked up. <laughs> that's fucked up. Like that to me is an indication that we need to do it. So we need to do more of that. But like, it takes forever for that shit to get back into like the mainstream universities and stuff where these like professionals are going because there needs to be like so many studies and so many things and they only redo their curriculum every so many years. So that's always behind in my opinion. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, I feel like I actually had Stacey Sims on the show. It was an amazing episode and um, highly recommend everybody go listen to that. But what she was explaining about the research and the way that studies were conducted and how sometimes they would just completely disregard the female participants because they're like, oh, these are just outliers. We're just going to go with the men. And like this data, it did not, it's, it's crazy. Um, so hopefully we're, we're seeing a change in that. Uh, but that also like begs the question, then do we, like, are there true differences in the way that we should be approaching nutritional recommendations, training recommendations, lifestyle recommendations when it comes to men versus women? I think so, because like, even though there's some changes or some things that are similar, I mean, men don't go through cycles, right? Like you don't have like menses, you don't go through like the hormonal changes that go like pre-pregnancy, during pregnancy, post-pregnancy, um, then like the physiology that happens if you happen to have any postpartum depression, um, what that does to your body, then going through perimenopause, like there's so many hormonal things that are different. Like that's why guys can tolerate like extreme calorie deficits and can be in a deficit for much longer then females can like, you have to like really watch biofeedback markers, especially if there's like any thyroid issues and stuff. Cause like, look at thyroid issue, um, percentages. It's like 80% higher in women. Like there's a reason for that. Like we're not inherently the same by any means. Yeah. And, and actually just about an hour ago before we were on this call, I was looking at my girlfriend's blood work and she's like the perfect bill of health. Everything is, is perfect. And but I was looking at her testosterone. I was like, it's so unfair. Like, It really is so unfair that like women have it, it. It's just more difficult to build muscle and just looking at those numbers. And like, yes, I know estrogen still plays a role in all of that. And like women can absolutely build muscle, but just looking at the difference of what in range is when it comes to something like testosterone, um, 
for men versus women. It's just, uh, it is a difference. And that's, that's the only point is we can't just take this cookie cutter approach and say, this is what applies to everyone. I think it just emphasizes the individual nature of all of this. And then you take in, like, it's already nuanced. It's already complex. And then you add our thought you had alluded to like people's relationship with food. And I found that to be one of the biggest sticking points where once we improve your relationship with food and your thoughts around food, we've seen with our clients that body composition changes happen almost instantly. It was like, that was the source of stress that was showing up constantly that was creating the cortisol high and like the irregularities in your, in your cortisol curve, because you were stressing the fuck out about every single thing that you ate and every poor decision and dwelling. And, and like that relationship with food is so key. So like that also changes our biology and has a huge impact. Um, where does that fit into like the, the scope of what you talk about when I'm, I hate using the word mindset, but like, there's no better word to describe it just because I, I think a lot of people use that word without truly understanding what it all entails. And they just throw it out there because they're supposed to, but um, <laughs> anyway, that's a whole different rant for another day. Uh, where does that fit into like what you talk about and and like, what are some practices that you go through with clients to help with relationship with food, thoughts around food, self-dialogue, all of that stuff? Yeah. So this is something that's like obviously very individualized, but we just recently started doing with our clients um, in the last like month or so in our onboarding process is something that we've changed. Um, we go through like the creation of your ideal self and talk about like mindset around that. So it's like, okay, like realistically, what do you a want to look like? Cause that's what everybody wants to talk about is like, I want to lose weight. I want to look this way and yada, yada, but like, what are your daily routines? Like, what is your relationship with food? What, like, how do you talk to yourself? How do you talk to your family? Do you go out with friends? What are you doing when you go out with friends? What hobbies are you doing? How do you present yourself at work? Like every aspect of your life, ideally, like what would be perfect scenario? And then we talk about where they are now and then we just fill in the gaps and it's like, okay, so you want to get to a point where like you get to go out on the weekend and you don't worry about like food. You just go, you eat your food, you enjoy it. And then you move on from it. You don't like dwell on it. Um, you want to be able to enjoy like some potatoes. You want to be able to enjoy pasta. So how is eating only salads every day now going to get you closer to not eating salads every day down the road. It's not, there's a huge discrepancy. So it's all about like understanding where we want to be, where are we now? How do we address these things? And like, what are the barriers that have stopped us in the past? What are the things that like triggered us in the past? What things have we tried in the past? What are the narratives of things growing up? What were your good food memories growing up? What were your bad food memories growing up? Like all these things really matter. So depending on the person we will delve into those kinds of things, but the whole creation of like the ideal self and then we talk about growth and fixed mindset a lot. So what are common like fixed mindset versus growth mindset? How can like, which categories do you fall in for each of these? Okay. And I'll come up with like three prompts of like, how can we like address this when this thought comes up? How can we flip it? Like we have a whole chart of this kind of stuff that we go with people because it was something that was coming up so often. And so we did like a chat on it and they were like, this was actually really helpful. So now we've made it into like some worksheets and stuff. And it's been really good. Um, but my favorite is for sure, like the ideal self work has been like huge. And it's actually helped me a lot personally with like other aspects of my life for sure. Yeah, totally. That's a, that's a big area of focus that, uh, that we highlight as well. Um, there's, there's a great book that I've referenced a few times on the show called be your future self now by Dr. Benjamin Hardy, which I highly recommend everybody check out and, and read. Um, but for anyone that thinks, I think it, you know, we talked about the, the fact that you can't separate mind and body and they're mm -hmm. connected. Um, there's, there's two studies that I always reference when somebody is like, well, how does that really help? Like 
yeah, yeah, I get it. Like mindset, blah, blah, blah. It's important. Thoughts around food, all of that. It's like, it, it literally changes your biology. Like your thoughts change your biology. And there's two studies that I think both were done at Stanford. Um, the one was, have you heard of the like lean protein versus, or the, the lean shake versus indulgent shake study where um, subjects were given, it was like the exact same calories. It was like a 380 calorie shake. Um, and both shakes were exactly the same. They had two groups and one was labeled like indulgent 680 calorie shake. And the other one was like lean 180 calorie shake. And I don't know the exact numbers, but you get the point. Mm -hmm. um, and, and individuals that were consuming the in, quote unquote indulgent shake, they were monitoring hormone levels and saw a significant reduction in ghrelin, which is that hunger hormone. Um, mm -hmm. So just the, the belief that they were consuming something that was more indulgent than it actually was was lowering and changing their hormonal profile. Whereas the individuals who are consuming the quote unquote lean shake, which was the exact same amount of calories as the indulgent one, their ghrelin levers were unchanged. Um, so it physically changes you just by your thoughts. And there was another study that was done similarly at Stanford, but it was done through um, like it was a histamine test and they had uh, patients get a, a rash and then a doctor would come in and would give them a cream and the cream was nothing. It was just, it was a placebo. Uh, it wasn't actually going to fix anything. And the doctor would say like, this is going to heal you in 10 minutes or something like that. And um, if they were told that it would literally 10 minutes, the rash cleared up. And then they would had another doctor and would say, you know, this is actually going to make the rash worse, but we're doing an experiment. And it was the same exact cream. It did nothing. But when they believed it was going to make it worse, the rash got worse in 10 minutes. So like, these are the things where your mind is actually changing your, your biology. Um, so I apologize for the rant, but I just wanted to illustrate. <laughs> no, it's so good. Like we can't, we can't separate the two. Um, it seems to me like a big focal point for you is like inserting processes and recommendations around significant, we'll call it like stress moments, mm -hmm. right? Like you talked about, before bed, you talked about like, you know, post-workout around your workout. Um, is that really where a lot of the focus is? Like, where are these stress moments happening and how can we insert something to uh, just mitigate and reduce that to some extent? Is that kind of like overall what you're looking at? Yeah. It's like, it's teaching your body to get out of fight or flight because like, honestly, we're always so chronically stressed all the time. We don't realize it because we're just used to it. I always use like the lobster and water analogy. It's like, we're in the water, it's heating up. We don't know it's heating up, but it's actually like slowly killing you. Right. Like if that's literally what's going on, but we're used to it. Like it's happening so gradually that it just becomes our new normal and we're used to it. But in fact, there's all these things going on. So we need to let our body like get out of that at some point, whether that be through eating carbohydrates or adjusting like your meal timing around like your workouts or just taking like five minutes to literally lock yourself in the bathroom away from your kids and just like listen to some like music or something, just anything, because like, it's like our body is being chased by a fucking bear all of the time. Like it's literally the process going on. It's just in modern times, but the process in our body is the same. So when we're constantly being chased by a bear, we're not thinking about losing weight. We're also not thinking about being hungry. Our body's just storing stuff and just surviving. And like, I don't know about you, but I'd rather like thrive instead of just try and survive and make it through each day. Like it's a lot better when you feel good and actually enjoy what's going on. Yeah, totally. And how about like first thing in the morning when cortisol is supposed to be at its, at its highest? Um, I find that 
a lot of women are still on the fast, like intermittent fasting bandwagon. What's your, what's your opinion on that? And Oh yeah. We make everyone eat breakfast. <laughs> they hate us for it at first. But like the thing is when people aren't having breakfast, trying to get your protein goal is really fucking hard. Like if I don't get my like 25, 30 grams of protein in the morning, like I am, I feel like I'm stuffing my face with protein all day and it's really hard. And like, then you're just full all day. Like if you don't start earlier, it's really hard. And a lot of women do under eat protein. So it's like, if you can get that protein in early in the morning, it's crazy. And then also you're not like, if you're eating enough earlier in the day, you're not going to have that afternoon crashes. Again, we're just go, 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 go. And then as soon as we get home and we're like out of fight or flight, we're just like, fuck, now I'm starving because you realize you didn't eat enough during the day. Um, so yeah, like the nighttime snack and like the breakfast, like it's, those are like the two things that if anyone doesn't do anything else, those are the two things they do. They will see changes no matter what, like they will feel so much better. Usually menopausal symptoms will decrease. Sleep is better. Energy is better. Um, like, so yeah, it's the best. (laughs) So would you say that the first, I know everybody's going to be different, so I I don't want to make this more of like a gross generalization, but would you say that the the low hanging fruit for a lot of women at this phase of life is quantity and and like avoiding like get let's get some quality carbs back into your diet and let's also assess how much you're eating overall so that we're not adding stress on top of stress. Yeah, 100%. Like I would say out of like I think we're at like 160 people in our program right now and like I think we've had two that didn't have to eat more and eat more carbs to start. So that's, that's what we're seeing anyways. I mean, if they're not at that point and that's great, they're kind of get to skip part of it. And we just got to address food quality and like relationship with food. Um, but for like 99% of women that we're working with, it's everyone's vastly under eating for the amount of stress they're under, um, or trauma they've been through or the amount of exercise they're doing just their lifestyle in general. Yeah. And I'm curious if there's a point where you start to consider, or what would be a situation where maybe you would consider something like HRT um, for somebody who's going through menopause where hormone levels are in a place where they're just with, even with making some lifestyle adjustments, nutrition, like where, where do we insert that in? I know there's a time and place for everything. So I'm trying to grasp like the context of where you might consider something like HRT. Honestly, depends on severity of symptoms. Cause like, if you're getting hot flashes really badly or like, just like your symptoms are really bad, like that's just so stressful on the person themselves that like, it's hard to be consistent with the lifestyle factors because there's the stress is too much. Um, again, that's always like a conversation I have with people's doctors and stuff. Like ideally we'd like to see people address it through lifestyle and nutrition first. But if like you're at a place where like you can't concentrate because your brain fog is so bad and you're getting tons of like inflammation and pain, um, and like tons of hot flashes doing HRT, at least for like a short amount of time, just to help you get like back to like sleeping enough, essentially, so that you can start making better choices and actually be able to focus and then come off of it later. Awesome. Yeah. I'm, I'm wondering when you were working in the more like with diseases and looking at, you know, conditions like that you were, you were seeing, um, what was like the biggest kind of paradigm shattering moment that you experienced or, or something that you believed, um, going into that process that was like, wow, this is totally different than I expected. Was, is there anything that comes to mind uh, during that time of, of your career? Um, there, yeah, there was a few, uh, <laughs> for sure. And that's why I left. Um, cause like I do osteo too. And just like, 
I would act like I'm a person who asks questions a lot. Like I was that asshole in school. I was, I was like, but why? But why? And he was like, just shut the fuck up and memorize it and get over it. Like that's <laughs> like that was me. Um, and I remember working with like some physios and dietitians and stuff. And I'd be like, okay, but why? Why are we doing this? Like, oh, that's just the protocol. I'm like, okay, but like why? Like if you can't describe to me in like even like medical terminology and stuff like that we're both well versed in as to like why we do this, like how that affects the processes, like if you're just telling me because like, oh, that's just the rules. I don't fucking like that. <laughs> so there was a lot of stuff like that with like just some medication stuff or like, oh, shoulder injury. These are the four in the exercises you give them. Like, okay, but why? Like these two exercises kind of like counteract each other. What's the purpose? Like what's the primary thing that we need to focus on for this person? And they're like, that's just how it is. Stop asking questions. I'm like, no, cause it's not working. So we need to ask questions. And, um, I don't know if to me, it was just a lot of like, there's not enough time for like practitioners to get like more education or more certifications. People just got cushy in their jobs. And I really fucking hate that. <laughs> so, um, for me, I was like, yeah, I was, I was out. It wasn't enough, like like-minded people in my personality. Um, and, uh, I think if I would have stayed, I probably would have got fired eventually to be honest, just cause <laughs> that's just how I am, but it is what it is. <laughs> you know, that, that could send me down a rabbit hole of just like this overarching philosophical issue that I have with the way that things are done in our society with from the education system to the healthcare system to just like how we are raised to like fit this cookie cutter approach that again, ask the question, like why I, that was always my thing. It was like, why are we supposed to do it this way? Why are we supposed to check these boxes? And like, you're, you're conceived, you're like, perceived as abnormal if you step outside of that, you know, if you don't just go through this, you know, protocol that feels safe to, to a lot of people. And that's a whole other topic. But what I want to ask you is where do you think that inquisitive nature or just challenging the norms <laughs> comes from? Because not a lot of people have that. A lot of people are just like, you know, fit in and don't make waves and just follow the rules. And that was never me. And I'm wondering like where you think that that comes from for you. Oh gosh. I don't know. Like for me, it's always been a little bit of like, people are like, Oh, that's good enough. And I'm like, no, that's fucking not good enough. Like I'm always a person who's like chasing stuff. And I think a lot of it has to do with like the way I was raised, um, like with my mom and stuff, she was very much like just trying to make things like go by. Like she had a very stressful life for sure. Just the way we were family dynamics and stuff. And, uh, I was always like, no, like, I'm never going to be like, just like settling for like, oh, this is just how it is. It's like, no, there's got to be better. There is better. Like we can do better for like ourselves, for others, um, create a better lifestyle, like that kind of stuff. And so like, I think my mom really actually like subconsciously like influenced me that way that like seeing the way she grew up and like what she was doing, I'm like, nah, fuck that. That's not to me, that's not enough. And I would like to see her do better and like us be able to do better. And like, if we're going through this stuff, there's for sure other people going through this stuff. Um, and just like applying that to every, every kind of aspect I can. And I just happen to do it through like health and fitness and yeah. <laughs> it's interesting because when you mention challenging protocols, when, when like clearly it's not working and you're like, but who cares if that's protocol, the result isn't working. Um, it, re it reminded me of a story that I heard about Chris Voss, who's an author who wrote the book, um, Never Split the Difference. And it's another great book if anybody is, is interested. He, is, he was a hostage negotiator for the FBI. And so they were on this like mission in Africa. And it's like all of these, like the top hostage negotiators in the world. And 
it went terribly wrong. And I think it was something like 17 or 19 people ended up dead. And so um, they went back and him and his team were like reviewing, like, let's look at the case. You know, we may have fucked up somewhere. This could be on us. And they were like panicked that they did something horribly wrong. And they were going through reviewing. Here's what happened. Here's what we did. And they were like, okay, we, we followed the protocol to a T and Mm -hmm. everybody else was like, Oh, thank God. Like, we did our job. We followed protocol on to the next one. And he was like, whoa, no. Like what we're saying is we followed protocol to a T and all of these people lost their lives. We have to change the fucking protocol. Like not just on to the next one. We have to change the protocol. That's not okay. And, and so those are like examples where most people are just like, okay, that's just how it is on to the next one. And it does take somebody that thinks a little bit differently. That's willing to like be courageous and say, if the protocol is not working, we have to change it. And that reminds me of just like where we're at right now with, with chronic disease and mental health issues and obesity. And like the whole model is flawed because the protocol is not working. So we have to stop with the eat less, move more bullshit. We have to stop forcing everybody to restrict and deprive and eliminate foods and feel guilty for what they're eating. And like, I don't know what the exact answer is, but I know we have to change the protocol because it's not working. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So yeah, bonkers. what are your thoughts on like kind of big overarching question here? Where do we go from here? Like conversations like this are helpful. The work that you're doing with your clients, where do we go from here as an industry, as like trying to change the narrative, trying to give people more of the tools and empowerment to make changes that actually work? Like what, what do you feel like the process looks like uh, to, to really start changing that narrative? Oh, it's 100% one-to-one individualization because it's very clear that like group cookie cutter shit doesn't fucking work. Um, like just taking out carbs, obviously it doesn't work. Like it's all about like addressing each individual's specific things, like their past background, their past dining history, like it all comes down to the individual 100% always. And like, yes, we want to make impact by helping as many people as possible, but it's unrealistic to expect that by doing like these grandiose things. So the fact that we have like in Canada, like the Canadian food guidelines or whatever, like it's a bunch of bullshit because what works for one person isn't going to work for other people because like there's food sensitivities, there's medications, there's, there's so many things Um, And I think that healthcare needs to change to a more individualized approach because like what we're doing right now isn't working. And I think it's like that for everything, you know, like every aspect of healthcare, rehab, physical rehab, like everything, it's super naive to assume that you and I are going to respond the exact same way to the exact same things and that we have the exact same issues. Like, I think that's the biggest flaw is just like overgeneralization and assuming everyone's the same. Yeah, I completely agree. I think that the generalization should be in the education that one-on-one attention is necessary, that an individual approach is necessary so that hopefully we can start to shift where from a consumer perspective, you're not drawn in by the allure of lose 30 pounds in 30 days or cut mm-hmm. carbs and achieve all of your wildest dreams. And I think that the education around that with, you know, again, conversations like this and just creating more awareness that you are an individual and like, it's going to require a unique approach. So hopefully you can understand that like when we talk about things like hormones and lifestyle and training and recovery and all these things, it will vary slightly from person to person. And that just looking at what somebody else is doing and thinking that you can replicate that 
um, is a quick recipe for being frustrated and wondering why are you broken or whatever conclusions we draw about ourselves when we want to model like, again, this is like another layer onto this problem, which is that social media has made it so easy to view this like picture perfect life that nobody actually lives. And then it's like, well, I want to be like that person. So how do they train? What do they eat? What is their lifestyle like? And I'm going to emulate that. And then you're like, yeah, it actually didn't work because they don't actually live that life. Um, oh yeah, no. I share my sh- like shit very vulnerably. Like I will post stuff all the time and be like, "Well, fucked up and had a sleeve of cookies last night. You guys was in a terrible mood. Grief got the best of me. Shit happens. Tomorrow's a new day. I am going to just like start with a good breakfast." And like people are like, "Oh my god, I love this so much. It's so nice to know you struggle. Like I'm sorry that you're struggling, but like it's nice to know that you struggle too." And it's like it needs to be shared more because like social media is like it's bullshit, right? Everyone just shares their freaking highlight reel and no one shares like crying in the bathroom or whatever the fuck it is that you're doing. Right. So. Yeah, completely. I think that authentic and vulnerable approach is more of what we need to see on social media because, you know, we all struggle too. I think sometimes coaches are put up on a pedestal, but um, typically we're equally, if not more fucked up than our clients. Let's, let's just. 100%. <laughs> We all have our issues. Like I got into this stuff because I'm like a people pleaser who needed validation externally. Like I'm doing a lot better now, but like (laughs) everything I ever did in the past was like, somebody love me, give me attention. Tell me I'm doing okay. Tell me I'm doing a good job. Like that's not a great driver. Like I'm better now, but like, I mean, I go to therapy. Lots of people go to therapy. You should do do that. I do as well. (laughs) I'm a big, big fan and a big believer in therapy. I, um, yeah. And I, again, recovering people pleaser had, you know, eating disordered eating issues and body image issues and everything else. And let's be honest, those thoughts still creep up and I don't think it ever goes away, but you develop the tools for navigating it a little bit better each time you experience it. Um, so I appreciate that per- uh, perspective. Uh, I would love for you to let everybody know where they can find you, how they can stay connected with you and keep up with all of the incredible content and education that you put out. Thank you. Yeah. So I am on Instagram and TikTok as vitality OET dot Stephanie. Um, and then you can find me on Facebook as Stephanie Fusnick. F-U-S-N-I-K. Did I pronounce it wrong in the beginning? Fusnick? I don't know. Honestly, it's been butchered so much in sports. I don't even know what my own last name sounds like anymore. <laughs> I won't feel bad. Um, Everybody go follow Steph. I appreciate you jumping on. This was a great conversation and uh, we will chat very soon. Yes. Thank you for having me.